AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yep, yep, ghetto boys is back and reloaded All in your mouth, yeah, now deep-throated This is for the streets, the real, the railroaded The disenfranchised, the truth, the scapegoated And they know it, we speak the truth so they quote it Cause we wrote it, the north, south, the east coast It's the GB not we keeping your head bobbing It ain't no stopping And once the beat drops in By then, the system is so corrupt They throw the rock out their hands and then blame it on us it's GB don't get it twisted. On code and we ain't dancing for no buttermilk biscuits. It's Willie D, y'all. Scarface is not in the building, but I got his back. Collectively, we are the Ghetto Boys, reloaded with another episode of information and instructions to help you navigate through this wild, crazy, beautiful world. In the studio, Dr. Chandra Richardson. Woohoo! Perfect. <laughs> Good afternoon. You got one of those names that people got to be mindful. It's... it's Chandra, not Chandra. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's correct. How you feel? I'm great. Thank you for allowing me to have the opportunity to be here and to meet you and to share what may be important to some and not so much to others. Ah, huh. I like how you said that. I, I, this, is, this is about to be very, very interesting. You okay. have a very interesting life. Some would say. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, you're a Houston native. Born in the tray. Born and I in always the tray. tell my students, third war to the day I die. Right. Raised right. in Sunnyside. What's so special about third war to Sunnyside? It's it's home. Um Home Street Baptist Church, the little kid, the big tree on the corner, my my uncle playing dominoes. My grandfather had an auto mechanic shop in the neighborhood. My father-in-law didn't know it was going to be my father-in-law. He also had an auto mechanic shop in the neighborhood. They were actually best friends. And, of wow. course, Jackie's okay. High School. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you raised with your mother and father? No. It was my mother, okay. my grandmother. Okay. And my grandfather. Your grandfather. Right. Okay. Now, where's your father? Gone on to glory. Where, we'll we'll where, put where, it that way. But I'm saying, where was your father? I you never know, knew. When you was growing up. In actuality, I didn't find out until right about three years ago who my father was. Hmm. He was never in the scene. So did you find out before he died? Or? No. I was the secret child. Ah. Uh. And I actually was okay with it as an adult, but somewhere in the back of my mind, there was always that, I wonder, I want to know who. Mm -hmm. My mother took the identity of my father to her grave. She died. It'll be, it will actually be three years in May. And um, I just wanted to know. So I stepped out and did what you see people do on TV. I did Ancestry DNA. Mm -hmm. 
And next thing you know, someone was reaching out to me. And it was a female. And I said, well, she's definitely not my dad. But we communicated and we talked. And uh, she said, well, do you have any family in Beaumont? And I said, no. Uh-uh. She said, well, what about Louisiana? No. Uh-uh. Keep in mind, I only know my mother's side. Mm-hmm. So all the people and places she was naming meant nothing to me. And I said, I'm looking for a male. And obviously, he's going to have to be somewhere close to my mother's age. And my mother's not telling me anything. At that particular time, my mother was still alive. But it was never a subject that she wanted to discuss. So um, the young lady that I kept talking to, she said, well, let me do some more research. Well, she was really into Ancestry DNA. And she dug deeper and deeper and deeper. She said, okay, I got some names. And I was like, okay, that means nothing because I I have nothing. My birth certificate says unknown. So she said, well, there's this person that, that, again, nothing. And I said, uh, well, my birthday, October 1959, and surely they would have to be older than me. So the dates that she was coming up with were within a year or two of me. And I said, well, definitely not my dad. No, no, no relationship. So she said, well, let me ask my mom to do the DNA test. She actually asked her mother and her mother did the DNA test and it came back that we were half siblings. And she asked her aunt. Test came back. We were half siblings. She asked her other aunt. Test came back. We're half siblings. She said, well, that means you're my aunt and my grandfather was your father. So she actually set everything up. We had a meeting right during the Christmas holidays. As I said, this was almost three years ago. And my half sisters and the half brother all showed up. All of our parents were deceased. And I looked like them. Mm. I looked exactly like them. And then uh, my niece named Michelle, she said, what about the little toe? I said, what about the little toe? She said, let's see your little toe. I was like, oh, these people must be crazy. I was like, oh, okay. I showed her my little toe. That's grandpa's toe. That's the toe. Yes, she is ours. <laughs> she is ours. So I found out I have this, these half sisters and a half brother and lots of nieces and nephews. And uh, everyone was very welcoming. But I told them up front, I said, please understand, I want nothing from you. I am whole. I am healed. I know who I am. But I wanted to find out who the unknown was. And Ancestor DNA has the disclaimer that says, please be prepared because the results that you receive may not be the ones that you expect. So I got what I did not expect, which was a lot of siblings and cousins and nieces and nephews. And it's okay. But... We're very friendly. Every now and then we'll get together. But I was raised as an only child. So for me, I'm good. I don't get on the phone and call a lot. We may text every now and then just to say hi or how you doing. But it's nice to be able to fill in the blank and know who unknown was. How many siblings do you have by way of your father? My father. Uh, the four half-sisters and one half-brother. One half-brother is deceased and one half-sister is deceased. And it's good. Now, is it fair to call them half-brothers and half-sisters? Like, you know, like... For, for Biologically, some, yes. Yeah. Biologically. Well, well for, for example, like, mm-hmm. I have four sisters and brothers and mm-hmm. we have three daddies between us. And mm-hmm. we do, I've never called them my half brother or my half sisters. Mm-hmm. Why do we say that if like if the dad have like if we have kid like if you have a sibling that's by way of your dad we'll say half but if mm-hmm. it's mama we just say that's my sibling. Right. Exactly. Well, is that um, fair? I mean, is that I, fair? I think to all the, is fair in love and war, but nevertheless, I could have come up with any number of names to refer to my father. My biological father and my story was always centered around I don't know who my earthly father is but I know who my heavenly father is so I found out who my earthly father was and I'll still say my father the best part is I'm not angry I wasn't angry then 
and I'm still not angry now. Um, I can't say that for some of the members who were upset to find out that I existed. And I said, well, I'll just call it what it is. I was the bastard child. I was the one who was kept the secret. I was the one who was literally poor. But I was never made to feel that way with my mother and my my grandmother and grandfather. How, How did you feel growing up? Like not knowing who your father was. Do you think that that affected your your, your childhood at all? I didn't miss it. It's kind of hard to miss what you didn't have because my my grandfather, oh my gosh, he was amazing. He was the best grandfather ever. But the flip side of the story is I found out through doing Ancestry DNA, he was not my biological grandfather. He was not my mother's father. He was someone that married my grandmother when she was... 14 or 15 years old because my grandmother had had a baby and her parents told her she needed someone to help take care of her and her baby. And how old was he when he married your grandmother? In his thirties. But he loved me beyond measure. Your great grandparents told your grandmother mm-hmm. she needs she got pregnant by your biological daddy and they biological told her grandfather right yeah, they who subsequently had gotten killed they so they that, told a 15 year old girl she needs to marry this 30 year old guy right so he can take care of the baby exactly you know that wouldn't fly today that, but that was a different time <laughs> That was a different True. time. That that definitely that definitely would not fly today. So, you're a military woman. You are an educator. You are an activist. That's fair. Where, where does all this come from? I say there's a an inner spirit where being an only many times you don't have anybody to talk for you. You don't have anybody to talk up for you. And I said that it seems like I just kind of stumbled my way into blessings. They weren't just there on the table for me to say, oh, let me get that. or Let me pick that one up. It wasn't like that. I just knew I was cared for by my grandmother and my grandfather. And that if I didn't speak up, I wouldn't get anything sometimes. If I didn't open my mouth, going back to the scriptures, a closed mouth doesn't get fed. So I had to start learning because that wasn't at the beginning. But as I got older, I had to open up and say, I want to, I need to, I have to, I must. And more times than not, I did and also received whatever it was I was asking for. But if I didn't say anything, well, I got nothing or I didn't get what I want or what I expected. Mm-hmm. So, walk me into the moment that you decided that the military mm-hmm. was your calling. I was a student at Houston Community College. I had actually decided that I wanted to be a surgical technologist. And I was going to school for that and was doing pretty decently. I had one instructor who said, oh, honey, you'll never make it in this profession. You're too slow. You don't know what you're doing. And she was not a person of African-American descent. I'll put it that way. And we just called her the dragon lady because she was she cut people. I mean, she cut you in your mind. She knew how to say things to you to be offensive and make you want to quit and make you want to drop out and Literally use that H word, the hate word. Oh, my God, this lady, what is wrong with her? Something is wrong with her. You don't talk to people like that. You don't treat people like that. And I wasn't good at what I was doing. And it was hard for me. But I was determined she was not going to make me quit. If I wanted to quit, that was me. But I wasn't going to let her, a person, make me quit. So I just started working harder. And one day she came in and she said, oh, y'all, guess what I did? And we're like, what? She said, I signed up for the Navy. Oh, and I'm going to have these cute little uniforms, and I'm going to make all this extra money, and I'm going to do this, blah, blah, blah. I was like, hmm, extra money. That that sounds kind of good to me. So next thing you know, I finished the program. 
And I got certified, and I was actually working in a hospital scrubbing as a surgical tech. My favorite was labor and delivery, and I could do cardiovascular surgery without blinking an eye because I had grown into it. I learned to love it. So you um, got your PhD before you went to? No, no, no. Oh, this was the last. There? This was on the last leg of the career. Okay. So um, I actually went to the recruiter and said, "Well, my teacher says she was enlisting, and I wanted to find out about doing that." And the guy said, "Okay, uh, what do you do?" And I told him. He said, "You have certification." I said, "Yes." He said, you have a degree? I said, yeah, I have my associate's degree. And my associate's degree was in biology. I wanted to have a medical field. So he said, okay, sign here. And I said, well, do I have to do all the stuff that everybody else has to do? He said, well, we'll write that in. So you don't have to do a lot of the initial things. And I was like, okay. So I signed up. That was all she wrote. And I was in for a minute. And next thing you know, came Desert Storm. And I was supposed to ship out. And at that time, I had gone to the, well, we used to have facilities on OST. Went to OST to pick up my sea bag. And I had to do all the medical tests to go now, out. what's a sea bag? That's the green military duffel bag where you put everything that's of value. Your whole life is value. inside that bag. Your whole life is yeah. in there. Right. I okay. still have mine. So, yeah. Lots you got of your dog attached? Don't have my tags. I don't know where they are, but I got my bag. Okay. Got my bag. So um, I went, and they called me into another area and said, okay, we're doing some tests, and we're not sure about these tests. We need to do some more tests. I thought, what are they talking about? And they said, oh, you're not going to ship out. You need to go over to this other room. And I thought, what the heck? What? Why? I don't understand what's going on. Well, I was pregnant and didn't know I was pregnant. My grandmother, subsequently, right about that time, had passed away. She had succumbed to breast cancer. And I'd been with her all my life. And I started to feel bad, really, really bad. Need to say my grandfather passed away when I was about 9 or 10 years old. But mm -hmm. my grandmother, that was, that was my rock. And I just, I just couldn't shake the funk. I, just, I, I couldn't stop crying. I was feeling bad. And I was like, okay, so it's, the, it's the death. I know it's the death. But when the Navy people said it, I was like, oh, I know that can't be true. So I went to the doctor who actually was the doctor that I was working with on a lot of the surgeries. And she said, okay, well, we're going to do the test and uh, congratulations. I was like, no, y'all are in the wrong room. That's no, no, that's, that's not me. They said, no, that is you. And then I started crying. She said, well, what are you crying for? You know what you did. What you crying for? I said, well, <laughs> you know that's, what you did. <laughs> that's, she was a very wonderful woman, needless to say. And I thought, oh, this wasn't what I was expecting. She said, well, you need to get yourself together and decide what you're going to do. If we are going to have a baby, I will help you. And we will have a help, healthy, happy baby. If you're not going to have the baby, I don't do that, but I will send you somewhere where they take care of that. And then I started crying even more. She said, okay, I'm going to give you about two more minutes to get it together and stop crying. I said, do I have to make up my mind today? Because at that time, my daughter's father and I, we were not together. I had discovered right about the time that my grandmother had passed away that he was a kind of person that I didn't want to spend the rest of my life with. And he was doing things that I was not agreeing with. And he was a habitual liar. And I started catching him more and more and more right about that time. And I said, you know, it's over. We're done. I, I can't do this with you anymore. And um, he was like, oh, it's, it's just your emotions, your hormones. Little did I know it was my emotions and my hormones. But still, the, the veil had been pulled away. And I realized he, he's an idiot. I cannot do this. I cannot knowingly do this. So I said, I'll just be on my own. And um, his family was adamant that if I chose not to be with him, they would not help me. And I said, okay, that's fine. I'll be all right. Because I had a job, and I had a career, and I had a degree. So Navy was on hold. I went back to working in the hospital. I worked all the way up until it was time to have my baby. 
had my baby there in the hospital. My mom was there to support me. And my baby was ill, and I was ill. Stayed in the hospital maybe about a week. When we came home, she was very jaundiced, and my blood pressure was through the roof. Never had blood pressure problems. It just, for whatever reason, things were not going as well as we had thought. Next thing you know, um, about a week or two later, baby and I are out, and we're going to visit the nurse who helped deliver my daughter, because till this day, this is over 30 years, we're still very good friends. And someone rear-ended me, at which point I wound back up in the hospital, stayed in there another two weeks, and my baby was home. So I was going through it all kinds of ways because I couldn't see her. I couldn't be around her. I wanted to bond with her so my friends would bring her for me to see her. And obviously I've recovered because here I am. But I was not necessarily in the best of physical shape. And I was told because of the car accident that I could not go back into the career that I'd had, which was surgery. And if you see the TV shows, people are standing. They're not sitting doing surgery. So they say, well, no, that that wouldn't be good for you. And I thought, oh, my God, what am I supposed to do? I, I never thought about not doing that. And now I've got a baby to take care of. So my military connections say, well, you know, you got a lot of college hours. Have you ever thought about teaching? Teaching? Teaching what? That's not what I planned on doing. I don't even know how to do that. And they say, well, we got GI money, we got military benefits. We'll pay for you to go to school. Are you still enjoying the benefits of the military? In a roundabout way. Not the you don't traditional have full benefits because you, no. you, you, you wasn't there right, long enough. Right. So how that's, that's you, a work in progress. How long were you there? I'm sorry, where? How long were you in the military? Uh, I got credit for eight years, honorable discharge. Huh. But that seemed, but that's more than what a few people I know that's <laughs> eating good off, off their military benefits. I mean, they. True. Hey, you should. Oh, that's that. That's next. If you need some help, too, I know somebody who's very, very good and get you 100%. Remember what I said about the closed mouth doesn't get fed? Yeah. So I'll say it right now. Yeah. I need some help. I got somebody to help. And I'm ready to receive it. Absolutely. We shall talk after this. Agreed. Ghetto Boys Reloaded Podcast. We'll be right back after the break. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, 
or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go back to the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, while serving in the military, did you have a experience any type of uh, sexual harassment in the military? Because I know that's a big deal. That scares me about women mm-hmm. in the military because I, I I have family members who are in the military or female. Mm-hmm. And that always scared the hell out of me about that, how pervasive it is. Mm-hmm. You ever experienced something like that? Um, to the degree of where it was flirtatious only. Mm-hmm. No one ever put their hands on me. I was never in an area where... I was isolated or secluded where I had to be concerned about my safety. Yeah. So I was blessed in that aspect. That right. didn't happen to me. But as far as, quote, unquote, hitting on me, oh, heck yeah. That, that was all the time. And perverse conversations or just inappropriate language. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Are you familiar with the case of uh, Lavina Johnson? Mm-hmm. Davina Johnson, she's a black woman who was uh, found uh, murdered in 2005. She was found murdered Mm -hmm. in a a tent that was owned by, um, was it, uh, KBR, you know, Mm -hmm. Brown and Root, who uh, at the time it was a subsidiary. At the time it was a subsidiary of uh, Halle Berry. Halliburton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <clears throat> she, her death was ruled a suicide, but check this out. The autopsy found that she, first of all, they said that she committed suicide with an with a M16 rifle. She's a right-handed mm. woman. The bullet wound was on the left side of her head. She's a right-handed woman. The bullet wound's on the left side of her head, and they said she killed herself with a rifle. They found lacerations on a, you know, on a private areas. They found on her face. They found uh, they somebody put some type of flammable liquid on her body. They burned her. Uh, they poured dye on her vagina. Uh, they did a bad. They did a real bad. And they told the, 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 the parents, they told the family that it was suicide. Mm. And as far as I know, the family still don't have justice. Right. And, uh, and then recently here, uh, Fort Hood, uh, they had the case of uh, Vanessa Gillian, yeah. mm-hmm. who, you know, was murdered and they tried, they, she was brutally murdered, decapitated. <laughs> and they uh, just totally ignored the the evidence, and that was people that saying like, "This guy right here is a suspect. He he sh- you should mm-hmm. talk to him." And they just totally ignored it. It's like, and I and I and, and that's just that's just uh, two cases. But I see it's very very rampant. I, I remember reading something where it, it said that it was like out of the like 90, it was like 90, 96 women who was murdered, who died like in, 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 in Iraq uh, and Afghanistan. It was like uh, 36 of those women, something around that number, like about 36 of those women were, uh, were murdered uh, were murdered outside of combat. So it was uncom- it, w- it was non-combat related. Mm-hmm. So, and almost all of them were raped. There was some type of rape involved. You know, America, I would say, America has a major problem with rape. I mean, 
day one, we could go all the way back to slavery. But even today, people get excited when certain people get convicted or accused of rape or whatever, and they want to bring them down or whatever. But I, I would dare say that this country really don't care about victims of rape because uh, last I checked, 90% of all rape kits in America are sitting in evidence rooms mm-hmm. untested. So I was just curious about that when I first, when I found out that, you know, you had that military background. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do you have any, uh, any, any of your, your friends or your fellow soldiers, female soldiers, experience something like that? I don't know anyone, <clears throat> excuse me, personally. Yeah. But uh, I belong to some women veteran programs where I know it's there. But it does not get discussed openly. Yeah. What uh, trips me out is like, <clears throat> if you can't get, be protected on your base, mm-hmm. yeah, your think, home. Think about it. your home. Think about it. Yeah. This is your base. This is ground. This is ground zero for protection. Mm-hmm. These, the people that you're amongst, your coworkers and all these people, these are the, this is the U.S. military. And they're supposed to be the first line of defense Mm -hmm. for us as citizens. But to take it further, you actually are employed directly by the military, to be in the military, you're employed to go out and serve the country and you're supposed to be going out here to get justice for other people and free other lands and all this stuff, but you can't get justice for yourself right here. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you reconcile that? Like when, you know, knowing that, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm serving, I'm serving my country, but my country ain't necessarily mm-hmm. serving me. It's a hurtful, excuse me. <clears throat> it's a hurtful thought to know that. Um, I participate with Dress for Success Houston. They also have a veterans portion. So tons of women, every branch of the military that you could think of. And sometimes, and now more so because of COVID and we do a lot of things virtually, so we don't get to do the relational building that we were previously. But when you hear other women saying they're PTSD, you know, or they're having some kind of a psychotic or psychosis that they're having to deal with. And just like you say, it's not necessarily military related. It's about something else that occurred while they were in the military. Yes, people on the base, sometimes their personal relationships, their spouses who may also be in the military or they're married to a military spouse and the way they have to handle the stress. I have no answers. Yeah. I have no answers. I, I don't know how to um, excuse it, but it's just the idea that um, they experience it. And as you have said, the help, the help is there. But some people are so afraid, just so afraid to come up against powers that they feel are bigger than them. Yeah, that that was the case definitely with Vanessa Gilliam. You know, she, uh, Gilliam, she uh, told her family that she had, she was going through something mm-hmm. and this guy had sexually assaulted her and she was scared to death. And um, then it got out, uh, something happened where dude thought that he was going to be found out. Mm-hmm. So he murdered right. her. And then, like the coward he was, mm-hmm. he killed himself. Ghetto Boys Reloaded Podcast. We'll be right back after the break. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. 
Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you take your military... uh background and and you kind of like uh you 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 move on you move forward and you because you can't do the military thing anymore you get into education public education what brought you into education well when i was given that offer my first thought as i said is i i don't know how to do that mm-hmm. little did i know i knew a lot more than i had actually given myself credit for so it was easier than you thought, like right. actually teaching. Right. And I'd had an instructor who was a history teacher. Prior to that, I had the medical background and the biology because that was the career that I wanted. But this one particular history teacher, and I went back to HCC, and she did something. It was like sprinkling fairy dust on a person. And I loved the stories. I fell in love with the stories. And I thought, I want to do that. I want to tell stories. She made everything that you saw in a book come alive, where if you closed your eyes, you could see yourself there. And I thought, oh, my gosh, how did I do that? I want to do that. I really want to do that. She was amazing. What's her name? Would you believe I don't remember? (laughs) What? Diana. Diana was the first name, but the right. last name I, I don't remember because it was quite some time ago. But she was an awesome teacher. And I didn't like her. I didn't like her. I thought she had something against me. In the beginning. In the beginning. Okay. Because every paper, it's history class, you're going to write. Every paper that I turned in came back just bloodied up. She just read all over. I thought, oh my gosh. I said, oh. She hates me because I'm black. That was my first thought. Because of. I said, surely, I I know I'm doing everything right. And she said, oh, I'll give this paper back to you. Fix it. Turn it back in. She gave it. I said, well, I don't know what's wrong with her. It was perfectly good paper as far as I was concerned. I'm literate. I know how to write. I don't know what she's talking about. So I went and I changed some things around. Keep in mind, I had an F at first. I turned it back in, and I got a D. I thought, oh, what is wrong? Something is wrong with this woman. And she said, okay, I'm going to give you one more chance. Take it. Fix it. Turn it back in. I said, she hates me. I know she hates me because now 
there's nothing wrong with this paper. Did so, you try to get any help from anybody else? Did you ask anybody I I was to smart. look at it? You didn't ask your mom I or thought, somebody to look at it? I couldn't. I was the only person in my family who had graduated from high school. Okay. So I, I couldn't. And I went and did some more stuff, and I turned it back in again. But I'm thinking I'm a genius, and I know these things. So I turned it in, and she said, let me talk to you. And I thought, oh, my God, what does she want now? I, was like, I can't get away from her now. But she told good stories, and that's what I liked. And she said, I see in you me. I see you making the same mistakes that I used to make. And it wasn't until somebody stopped me that I was able to fix it. I'm stopping you now because I want you to fix it because you have a great opportunity. But if you don't get this writing part, it's not going to be all that you want it to be. At that point, my whole outlook about her changed tremendously, respectfully. And I was so appreciative because no one had ever said that. They would just take the works. Oh, yeah, you did it. You turned it in. Here's an A. So, of course, I thought I knew what I was doing. I was a really good student in high school. I could look at something, learn it, take the test, make an A. But I didn't know how to study. So when I first graduated from high school, I went to the University of Houston as a part of my testimony to my students and the parents that I had a full scholarship, got in the University of Houston. Keep in mind, this girl had nobody in her background that she could ask about school. So here I am in a place that was foreign to my family. And in my first year of college, I ended up with a 0.75 GPA. Yes, that is an F. That is the, the grandfather of Fs. And it was so bad that University of Houston said, do not enroll here anymore, like ever. Huh. It's so bad. And I thought, okay. So I went and got a dead-end, go-nowhere job. The lady on the job, wonderful older lady, Miss Dolores, who said, baby, why are you here? And I said, because I have a, a car note and I need a job. She said, no, I don't mean that. I mean, why are you here in this place? Why are you doing this job? I was filing papers. That was my job, to file papers. And um, I said, well, I, I got bills, and I failed in college. How do you make a point seven five though? <laughs> and like, how, how does that how? happen? Did easy, you just, you easy. Study, don't you, you party. come to class. Yeah, don't okay. go to class on time. Don't study. And you partied. And I partied like nobody's business. Okay, well, that is. Okay. Right. Yeah, I had a good time. Because I, I was yes. like, like, ain't no way you smart and you yes. studied and made a point seven five. But you I should have got an A for partying. When I say a yeah. sister did that, I did that. And I, I cannot lie. I have to own my truth. And that is my truth because that's what makes me be who I am now. And this, what campus was this? Central Campus. The Central Campus. The third war <laughs> till the day I die. <laughs> Should have went downtown. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't even know if they had downtown right about then. But nevertheless, uh, like I say, they put me out. And that's how the circle, literally, it was like the children in the, the desert wandering. That's how the circle mm -hmm. started. Right. You know, I'll do this. And so, oh, that's not working. Let me do that. Oh, that's not working. That's how military peace came up. That's how all of these things came up because I failed out of high school. I graduated. Wonderful. But at that point, 18, lost my mind. Didn't know what I was doing. Didn't know how to do it and had nobody to ask and didn't have sense enough to know I needed to ask. So what did that teacher say to you specifically that turned you around? She saw me. In her. So, so when she said that, that was all the motivation you need. You felt like she cared about you. Right. She cared, right? Absolutely. Okay, so. A hundred percent. So I'm in, I'm a freshman high school. Mm -hmm. And I go into my homeroom teacher who happens to be my science teacher also. I go into a room, me and my buddy, and we got on trench coats and gangster hats. <laughs> and we walk in singing singing a uh, slave walking down the street <laughs> watching ladies right mm -hmm. we just jamming so she just sat back and just watched the class erupts they going crazy loving it laughing mm -hmm. kicking it we finished she said okay you come sit right here 
So she made me sit up in the front. She made me sit, sit in front of class. And then um, she tells me to write the daily objective on the board the mm. next day. Now, up until that point, I always thought that writing a daily objective on the bo- objective on the board was for the smart kids. I never, I never particularly considered myself smart because I didn't make the grades. But when she, when she delegated authority to me, it gave me a sense of pride, and I'm writing a daily mm-hmm. objective. Right. I'm like, yeah, you know. Stick mm-hmm. my chest out some, right? And then next thing she does is she tells me to keep names when she leave her room. Mm. She tells me to keep the oh names. Oh, boy. That's huge. Well, I didn't understand what she was doing to me, but she really made me out of, out of a rat. But I didn't have to rat on nobody because she understood if I can get him under control, mm-hmm. I can get my whole classroom under control. Right. So... Every time she came back into the room, the room was quieter than it was before she exited the room. And so, again, I did not figure out what she was, had done to me until right. a few years later, but I made straight A's in her class. Mm. When I started, when I made an A in science, I thought I could make an A in anything because, you know, growing up, you, you think of you think of science as something difficult to do because people tell you it's difficult, right. right? So you think in your mind it's difficult. But she worked with me. She showed me, you know, the science, <laughs> you know, of, 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 of studying and learning. And I aced her classroom. So I was like, well, I'm going to try it with the other classes. So I aced math. I aced history, everything. I just aced everything. So out of nowhere, I go from, you know, B's and C's and D's to straight A's. And back then, they used to announce your name on the, on the right. intercom if you made the honor roll. Mm-hmm. So when they announced my name, everybody started looking around like, man, what you do? <laughs> Threaten the teacher? What you beat up the teacher or something and all that stuff? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so I had to deal with that every mm-hmm. time after I would make the honor roll, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, after I would make the honor roll, I have to deal with that all the time. But I say that to say, you know, you get the right teacher in your life, they could change your life. And this exactly. is why I respect teachers so much. I, I respect educators. You get the right one, and they can change your life. If it was mm-hmm. not for Mrs. Oliver at Forest Brook High School, mm. I probably would be a different man. I think she saved my life, you know, because, I mean, she— she sold into me. She took the time. She could have easily said, get out of my room, you know, go to the principal's office like mm-hmm. everybody else did. But she understood. She's like, okay, we got us right here. We got a class clown, uh, basically. Uh, but, Acknowledgement you know, is definitely yeah, you know, important Yeah, we got a class piece. clown. But, you know, hey, you know, I can work with him. You know, he, he, he you know, I'm going to work with this kid. Mm-hmm. And it was because she took a chance on me. I, took, I take chances on people all the time because I see. I can see me mm-hmm. in a lot of these youngsters. Right. And, you know, I think all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, everybody likes to be acknowledged. And you're going to either get some attention the good way or the bad way. Good or bad, people like to be acknowledged. People mm-hmm. like to be acknowledged. So, uh, at that time, I was doing getting it the bad way by being mm-hmm. a class clown, but she taught me how to get it the good way. And so, uh, again, shots out, Miss Oliver. I got this. Ain't no shout out right now. This is, salute to Miss Oliver, Mrs. Oliver. Salute, salute, salute. Well, can so, I do my shout out? Shout out to the first one, my first grade teacher. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Ethel Route Wilson, Reynolds Elementary School. Ooh, you know she old school. Ethel. My first grade teacher, who I know all day long I was teacher's pet, and she would take me home 
in the car. And oh, wow. You rode in the teacher's car? I rode in the teacher's oh, car man. in the That's front gangsta. seat. That's gangster. She would give me books and tell me, now you take this book home and you better learn how to read it. In kindergarten, I didn't know how to spell my name. And again, I tell that because that's a part of my journey. Mm-hmm. She would always tell me, you're going to be my sister one day. And I thought, how can I be her sister? She, I don't know how that's going to happen. Till this day, I am her sister. Yeah. We're in the same sorority. Yeah. She made sure I didn't get to look in any other direction. But Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. And I'm in Lambda Zeta chapter. Nice. So I've been her sister since 1997. That little boy that you got to meet at the time, he was right about six months old. Right. Taylor. No regrets, Taylor. At some point in your educational career, you became the dean of discipline Correct. at Milby High School. Correct. What exactly is a dean of discipline? What are your tasks? What are you tasked to do? Well, as the title says, discipline. I dealt with everything that students did that were violations or infractions according to the student code of conduct. Mm -hmm. And more times than not, anything that involves sending students to JJAEP, which is the Juvenile Justice Alternative Education Program, the county, sending them to... ABC East or West, which is for students who commit violations, but they also have some sort of a mental disorder that may cause them to do these, quote unquote, violent acts. That seemed like a the bad guy type job. Like, you know, like, you know, it's like the, you know, I guess the Dr. Doom. Mm. You know, like you, you come to see me, bad things are happening. You know, you only come I'd to see me when something bad and is happening. still hand out the punishment at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I had a student once who had a traumatic brain, brain injury. He'd been hit by a car, a young Hispanic male. But because of the brain injury, it caused him to have a very dangerous side to him. That was a part of his effect. He literally took a baseball bat and beat his grandfather. He didn't kill him, but he beat his grandfather. And he would come to school, and he was very intimidating, very frightening. And students like that, you can't just send them away or send them to an alternative setting. You have to go through a process, which is with special education, and make sure that you're not violating their rights. And it's called an MDR, Manifestation Determination Review which shows that what the student did is or is not related to their illness or their disorder. Uh. I was so engaged into that that I just recently got another credential or certification as an educational diagnostician because I wanted to be able to ensure that students who were having mental or psychological disorders were being diagnosed properly. But how do you not violate their rights and keep the greatest student body safe? Sometimes the students have to be in a contained area where they're not mixing with the general population. And then there are other times that is a part of their um, IEP, their educational plan, their individual educational plan that they do mix, but they may have to have a co-teacher with them. Um, They may only have two or three courses out in the general population, and then others, they have to be in a more contained area. It just depends on the situation. Yeah. Can you share that story that you were telling me about where the kid came up to you one day, I think it was after school or something, he warned you to leave the school, stop staying so late. Right. Can you share that story? Um, I was at an alternative school on the the west side, and I was the the principal over this particular section. We had elementary, middle, and high school all under the same roof. And this particular student, he was tatted up. He had uh, his gang signs on him. He had the little teardrop by his eye and everything. And one day he came to me and he said, Miss, uh, you need to stop staying late. I said, what what are you talking about? He said, "I, I know you're here. I know you're here at the school. It gets late. Stop staying here. I need you to go home. 
I said, how do you know that I'm here? He said, I know. I got people watching. But I told him, she's okay. Don't bother her. But stop staying. Because one time I might not be able to stop somebody. Hmm. Said, Thank you. That let me know that uh, he liked me because he didn't have to warn me. How and come, I stopped staying. How come y'all don't have security after hours when teachers are staying in, putting in overtime? Well, um, as far as HISD is concerned, we do have security. Now, even our security guards, they generally clock out at 5 o'clock. So if you're staying after that, then more times than not, that's your choice. It's not something that you have to do. And if it's not an event, then you may not have security there for that event, which is why I do not um, advise for myself or even the, the individuals who work under me that they stay late, especially when it starts getting dark. Leave at a decent amount of time and don't stay by yourself or don't walk out alone. Yeah, yeah. In regards to respect, you know, I cover a lot of stories where kids challenge teachers today. Yes, sir. They will swing on teachers. Yes, sir. Call them all kinds of names, everything but a child of God. Yes, sir. What are some particular challenges that you have faced when trying to bring order mm. in in the schools that you have worked at? Well, my first school, and I'll never forget, I was a green teacher like the, the curtains on the wall. And I had a student who was kind of acting up, nothing too unusual. Generally, my classes were pretty decent. But this one particular day, a young man was very agitated and he said he was leaving. And I'm four foot ten. And I stood in front of the door like Wonder Woman. I said, you are not Boy, go sit down. You're not leaving. You're going to stay. And he said, Miss, you need to move. And I said, no, I need you to sit down. You're, you're not leaving today. I need you here in this room with me. I need you to stay. And he said, Miss, I'm telling you, I don't want to hurt you. And that was the first time I'd ever had a student to say something like that to me. And I thought, okay, this is not a drill. This is real. And I refused to move. I was going to be stoic and stand there. And I say, no, I need you to stay in the room. He politely came up. He grabbed me by my elbows and moved me over to the side and said, I told you I don't want to hurt you. And he walked out the room. Needless to say, I was traumatized. And the kids in the room, they were like, miss, are you OK? And I was like, OK, I got to hold it together because they're watching me. And I said, uh, somebody push the button. Just somebody just push the button, the emergency mm -hmm. button. And nobody came. And I wow. said, okay, y'all sit down. Don't you move. I cannot protect you if you leave the room. You stay in the room. I'm going to get help. So I went to get my own help. And at that time, um, when I shared what had happened, they said, well, that's the straw. I said, what do you mean that's the straw? We needed one more thing for that student to move him out of the school. He touched you. I was like, wow. I felt sorry for him, but I was so scared. I was more afraid than I was sorry for him at that moment. And then that's when they told me that he had a psychological imbalance and he had seen uh, his mother's boyfriend blow her brains out. Oh, God. Oh, man. And it affected him. And there were psychotic disorders in his family. Stay tuned for part two of the Shonda Richardson episode of the Ghetto Boys Reloaded Podcast. This episode was produced by A-King and brought to you by the Black Effect Podcast Network and, and iHeartRadio. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk? Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus? You may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. 
Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.